everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> so every single week, I do Q&As um, on social media. And every single week, without doubt, I get question after question about iron, about ferritin, about anemia, and about why someone's taking an iron supplement and it's not working to improve the iron levels. So this is a wildly misunderstood topic. And it's something people are often really shocked when they hear me or you, Dave, talk about why we don't actually use iron supplements very often, almost ever. And someone might be like, well, hang on, if I've got low iron, clearly I should be using an iron supplement. And that may not only may not be a good idea, but in fact, it could actually be a bad idea potentially depending on why someone's got low iron. So we want to demystify iron. There's a fair bit to talk about. So as we get started, we'll just talk about why iron even matters. Why is this something we should even focus on or pay any attention to? So Dave, tell us about iron. Yeah, I mean, obviously iron, if we just give some real basics here, okay, for people who don't know, um, it's classified as a heavy metal, okay? It's, it's, it's a mineral and it's important for so many different functions in the body. I mean, I'm not going to break down every single one, but... Uh, it's a really important cofactor, which basically means that it's we need it for like enzymatic processes in the body. And if you look at some of those uh, processes, it actually is a cofactor for something like phase one liver detoxification. So it's important for that. Iron is actually uh, one of the, the key nutrients that we need to actually help with the synthesis of thyroid hormones. Hmm. Um, it actually, and, and this is the one we might touch on a little bit more, it actually help, helps to make up the active side of like heme. And this is obviously the key building block that we need for hemoglobin. And so we play, would, would say in this instance that iron plays a key role in helping to deliver oxygen to the, the tissues in the body. So it's really important from that aspect, um, you know, even playing roles in even things like blood sugar management regulation. So, you know, the, the formation of uh, new like blood cells, that's really important for that. And it actually even makes up key components of proteins as well. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot more than that, okay? Mm. But, you know, it's 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 vital. But I think like an interesting thing that I've heard, maybe you've heard this, is that, and, and we could probably tie in iron and copper together here because they've, they've got a really special relationship. And they sort of say that, you know, iron and copper are really, really important for, they're, they're like life-giving. But where this becomes like a, a bit of a tightrope, is yes, they're life-giving, but they also sometimes can bring on disease state and they can um, even, you know, in the wrong instance, can be the opposite, like death. Mm. And that's why, like, you know, I think what, what you said right at the start is really important is just playing around with iron and just playing around with iron supplementation, whether, mm. you know, be high amounts of iron supplementation or iron infusions or whatever that might be. It, it might be a little bit like giving a, like a child a box of matches you know what I mean? Like you just really don't know what's going to happen because, and ho hopefully we outline this in the, in the podcast to the listeners is that there's so many things you got to take into consideration. Mm. And our, our whole point a lot of the time is you, you really want to be safeguard with a lot of things. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't really have the information, well, why 
give the boxing matches to the child. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. That's, that's very much our message, isn't it? That if there's an intervention, which we don't have the data there, we don't have the information to know if, if this tool is going to make you better or worse, it's probably not the right tool to use. And unfortunately, iron supplementation is very much that tool. A lot of the time you could probably make the argument. It's going to be more dangerous, more of a risk than it is going to be of benefit. Now, a lot of the time people like, you know, everyone will have heard of anemia, and they'll know, you know, iron deficiency, okay, this is an issue. It's one of the biggest types of deficiencies in the world. Um, but they probably only know about, you know, maybe issues with hair growth or fatigue. They tend to be the main symptoms that, that people might be aware of. So what you said there about impacts on even different hormones, thyroid hormones, that's quite interesting. That's probably going to be news to a lot of people that iron's involved in all these other, um, I guess, processes within the body as well. So if it is so important, why wouldn't we just give iron? Like if someone comes back, they get a blood test done. In fact, should we, should we touch on the bloods? Because someone might look at bloods and see that they've got iron tested. And you know, that's even that in and of itself is actually a pretty useless mark in my opinion. Should we sort of go there first? Yeah, I think it's a good place to start and we'll try to contain ourselves a little bit here. But <laughs> I, think, I think it's like the, the issue that we have is that when people look at bloods and there's nothing wrong with this initially is like obviously looking at function and looking at where things are sitting, okay? But if, you, if we look at something like serum iron, which essentially like serum iron is like bound to albumin and for people who know what, don't know what albumin is, that's a protein molecule. It's produced within the liver. It's a transporter molecule, okay? And people just might look at this and the other one they like to look at is hemoglobin. Mm. And then just make the conclusion that if you've got low hemoglobin, then you've got low serum iron, okay? Well, this just means you've got low iron. So then we're just going to supplement with iron or it's going to be iron infusions or whatever that might be. And, you know, Obviously, what you're saying, Jake, is in, in, in a lot of instances, this could actually make your problem a lot worse. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for this if it is really just an iron deficiency. Mm. But the point being is that it's not always just as simple as an iron deficiency. And so, you know, and if we, if we maybe just touch on like what I was talking about, I'm sure you've probably got some things that you want to talk about with blood markers as well. But if we look at something like hemoglobin, because would you agree that most of the time when they're looking at it, they just base it a lot of the time, even just on hemoglobin. Look, okay. that's probably better than what I'd expect, Dave. I think usually people just look at iron. Like, honestly, I think a lot of people look at serum iron. If we're lucky, they look at ferritin and hemoglobin. But that's one step better than what I would hope for a lot of the time for, to even consider hemoglobin. Yeah, you're, you're bang on there, okay? <laughs> the, the thing is, like, if I, if I just look at, you know, something like hemoglobin, and then we're just basing, saying that the reason that the hemoglobin is low is because... It's just to do with iron, iron. So it's just to do with iron. Well, I always talk about this. I mean, I would look at it and I'd say there's at least like 10 things mm. that I need to be in place to actually have good hemoglobin levels. Mm. So how can we, if there's 10 things, how can we just determine that it's just one? Yeah. Well, well there's a good chance that we're going to get it wrong. Okay. So yes, I'm not, once again, I'm not taking away from the importance of iron here. I've just talked about it right at the start. Okay. So yes, iron, okay, but also B6, which is pyridoxine, that's really important, okay? Well, B12, cabalamin, that's really important, okay? B9, which is folate, that's really important. Vitamin A, because we need it for myeloid stem cells. So we need it for red blood cells and we need it for granulocytes, like white blood cells as well. We need copper, that's probably the one that we're going to touch on a little bit mm. more. Um, we need glycine, okay? So glycine, which is a classified as non-essential amino acid. I hate that terminology because mm. okay, I think all amino acids are essential, but you know, the building block for heme is glycine mm. and bacteria play a key role. Once again, they play a key role on everything. 
People are going to think we've got a bias here, but guess what? They just do. And you've actually got like Streptococcus thermophilus, which is a positive gram bacteria. If you actually look at it, it actually helps with like hemoglobin concentrations. It helps with hemidocrit concentrations, which is either too many or too few red blood cells. And actually it helps with suppressing TH17, which is when you get too high neutrophil recruitment. That's probably a conversation for another time. But we actually need the streptococcus thermophilus to help with our ability to synthesize folate, B9. Okay. And even like the glycine, well, the microbiome are always involved in this. Well, Escherichia coli or E. coli, which gets a bit of a bad rap here as well, will actually need E. coli to help with the metabolization of glycine. And then you need zinc. So there's 10 things, okay? And we look at low hemoglobin and then we just say, the only thing that really matters here is iron. Mm. Mm. Do you know what stuck out to me with that list, Dave? I haven't thought about it like this before, but most people will know if we say who's most likely to be iron deficient, and this isn't throwing shade, but it's going to be someone who's plant-based, right? We intuitively know that. Now, what's interesting with that list is a lot of those compounds, actually, are the compounds that people are likely to be deficient in if they're plant-based. So it's not just iron, but actually zinc, B12, glycine, mostly found in, in animal products. So actually, a lot of those compounds could be an issue in that instance and not just the iron. And yet we're still going, oh, you're plant-based. We just need to give you iron. Or do we? Where are you getting your glycine? Where are you getting your B12? It's a, it's a great point. And then obviously, we could go into the conversation, which I don't think we're going to, of you know the type of iron. Okay, yeah. like heme iron, okay, which obviously, once again, you know, animal proteins and, and we would say like, you know, fundamentally some of the best sources of iron, and we'll touch on this a little bit more, would be like offal and organ meats. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then you get non-heme iron, which obviously you get from like, you know, uh, plant-based sources. And that's where maybe vitamin C comes into it because it actually mm. helps with the absorption of like non-heme iron. So, but it's interesting what you bring up there, because what I would say is, well, a lot of those key nutrients that we're talking about here, well, what's probably one of the biggest players? Your gut lining. Mm. And, and I just think it's, a, it's, it's, it's an area that doesn't tend to get looked at in terms of where probably the problem has started from. Yeah. yeah. And probably that's a, something we should mention now because what people need to understand is that when it comes to our ability to, because obviously we've got to get the iron from the food that we're consuming. Yeah. Okay. And then where is that getting uptaken? Mm. Well, it's get, getting uptaken in the gut. So that's really dependent on the brush borders. So for people who don't know what the brush borders are, they're a little bit like, you know, tentacles. It's a little bit like a sea anemone are sitting at the top and they actually help with our ability to release enzymes to help us to break down like macromolecules and actually help with our ability to uptake micronutrients as well. And that's essentially just connective tissue, you know, type one collagen, that's what it is. Um, and so our ability to uptake iron initially is really dependent on the brush borders. So you would say if there's any compromisation of the brush borders, so, you know, anyone who's like celiac, yeah. okay, you know, villi atrophy, any deterioration or, or, or dampening of the brush borders is probably going to, you know, negatively affect your ability to uptake something like iron. Yeah. Okay. And then when you just talk about conversion processes, well, that starts within the epithelium, like a lot of things do. Mm. Okay. And so essentially what you're, you're getting is you're getting what they, they call like ferric iron. And then the ferric iron needs to get converted into ferrous iron. And just so people understand, like the ferrous iron, okay, when you've got too much of that within the blood, mm. okay, that's where it can actually cause damage. It can cause damage to tissues and so forth, but not as long as you can make conversion processes properly. That's where it's not going to be problematic. So, but that conversion process that I'm talking about, like converting in 
from ferric iron to ferrous iron needs to take place within the enterocytes. Now, if people don't know what the enterocytes are, they're a type of epithelium, okay, within the gastrointestinal lining. And so, you know, what I would say here, without going too far down that rabbit hole of the type of damage and how you got that type of damage yeah. is, isn't that structure of the enterocytes yeah. imperative? Yeah. Okay. I always say to clients when there's a deficiency, whether it's iron or any other deficiency, that the question there is, is it an intake issue or is it an absorption issue? And I guess in the whole iron conversation, we've only ever come at it from an intake issue, haven't we? Whereas mm. like what you said there, there's actually, we really need to be looking, is any absorption issues going on? Might not be a matter of just chucking more iron at someone. Um, where does stomach acid come into play? Well, I know like actually one thing that I know you've mentioned to me that I just want just before we, we get onto like stomach acid is that even like you look at something like ferritin well ferritin is a is a carrier molecule for iron so it actually helps to store iron yeah so people who don't know it's a protein molecule and it's made up of 24 subunits of amino acids now that's actually stored uh yes you store it within the the liver Mm. but also you actually store it within these enterocytes as Mm. well so once again yeah, if we're just talking about being a carrier molecule yeah. and the ability to store it and so forth, well, the enterocytes are, are fundamental for, for that process as well. So once yeah. again, is there any if there's any compromisation there, is that creating also potentially issues with ferritin as well? And that's it's a possibility. So do you? this is a, a um, curveball question for you, Dave. I'm not sure if you're going to answer for me, but um, you've mentioned like celiac disease. Because initially, like with celiac disease, you'll usually see iron issues. You'll see you might see low iron, but I've also seen high ferritin. Why would that be? Have you seen that? Yeah, well, definitely. Like, uh, yeah, look, definitely can see really, really high ferritin. And I mean, obviously, once again, if we just look at it a very like linear and very black and white sort of way, I mean, a lot of the time they're going to say things like hemochromatosis and and, and these types of things. Okay, yeah. but more for me, uh, and I'm sure you're the same. Like a lot of the time I'm going to look at it as like, you know, um, yeah, potentially like systemic inflammation of the, yeah. of the, of the liver. See, that was okay. my assumption. Uh, that was just an inflammatory response, but I wondered because what you just said there with the enterocytes, I wondered if there was damage there, could that potentially, um, I guess like leach out excess ferritin or would it not potentially go that way? So it's, a, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, my analytical brain would, would say that I, I couldn't see any reason why that wouldn't be uh, a contributor, mm. but I haven't directly seen it in any literature. Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm there's not, there's sure. homework for you guys who are listening to see <laughs> someone find an answer for us and send it over to me. Um, yeah, we're, we're always interested. Yeah. Because there's obviously it's, it's never ending like yeah. This stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always. There's always uh, more to learn for sure. Well, well like uh, I guess what you were talking about with things like stomach acid, I mean, one thing on that as you know we can't take away from the negative impact that you know bacterial issues would have mm. this with this as well and one thing that you know potentially could affect your your ability to uptake something like iron um, is something like h pylori it obviously mm. affects this acidifying effects of like hydrochloric acid and you know with this i mean i'm sure you 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 know you've spoken about this before but Obviously, there's a lot of deficiencies that you would have with something like H. pylori or helicobacter mm. overgrowth within the stomach lining. And one of those key fundamental deficiencies that you would have is like iron. There's a lot mm. more than that, mm. okay? But there's definitely some complications that can arise from, from that region of the gastrointestinal tract as well. Yeah, yeah. So you've mentioned bacteria a few times and bacteria is pretty important in this whole um, picture. Should we, we talk should we about... Should- 
Should we yeah. stay in that stay in that lane? Let's keep going. How bacteria can affect this whole equation, shall we? Yeah. So, you know, another aspect that can be leading for, for, for someone having, you know, low iron, having these complications, there's actually like a, a protein molecule. Okay. It's called hepcidin. Now, things can cause like a quite a large increase of hepcidin. And one thing is having excessive amounts of like iron within the liver. Now, can't take away from the, the fact that this can be other contributing factors to this. So one thing is like people with like methylation issues don't necessarily want to go too far down that realms, but there's, you know, 50 different variants of like methylation issues. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the MTHFR gene defect and that can cause, like, cause you've got sluggish detoxification pathways and you can struggle to clear certain things out of the body. So that could be a factor why there's excessive amounts of iron within the liver. And then when you've got the excessive amounts of iron, then you actually have like a raise in hepcidin. Uh, and so what happens here is that when you've got the raise in hepcidin, that the hepcidin blocks the ability for you to absorb iron within the gastrointestinal tract. But there's other things that would raise the hepcidin as well. And so that's obviously what we want to touch on. And one factor would be viral infections. Another aspect would be just bacterial problems in general. So so just to go a little bit slower there. So you, so firstly, hepcidin is not bad, right? It's helping regulate iron levels, essentially. Completely normal. Completely yeah. normal. Yeah. So why would, you just mentioned a viral infection. Why would a viral infection or some kind of pathogen, why would our body respond to that by increasing hepcidin levels? Because it's feeding it, right? Like it'd be a defense mechanism. Yeah, I think that's the, look, I think that's the, the, the primary reason. Yeah. Look, I'm just trying to think of the direct sort of like chemical sure. reason to why that's taking place. Oh, look, I'm sure I'm sure it will come to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're jumping down the track you're like this. But yeah. so if that's what's going on, if it's a defense mechanism ultimately, like the body's pretty intelligent often. Like it's it doesn't all that often make mistakes that are kind of you know a bit thoughtless. Like this is a, a great example of that where it might be producing hepcidin to reduce iron absorption because the iron could be feeding pathogens. And yeah. we're talking um, off air about, I think there's a functional medicine saying I've heard where uh, I think they say iron is like chocolate cake for pathogens. So whether it's it's pathogenic bacteria or viruses or parasites, all these things like iron. So if our body recognizes, hey, we've got this active infection and iron is actually feeding that, it would make sense your body's going to, ta- going to try to downregulate potentially that food source wouldn't it and so we're coming along being like hey check this out this is low stupid body what are you doing and we're just pumping ourselves full of this compound that our body might intelligently be trying to decrease for sure and so that, that's obviously an example where it does create a, a big problem mm. yeah and you know with that i mean it's probably worth you know adding to that is that you know we've spoken about this many times is that well there's a big issue here with biofilm yeah. Okay. And so when we're talking about like bacterial issues and when we're talking about, because the other, the, the other thing that raises the hepcidin is that when you increase like pro-inflammatory proteins and what I'm talking about from, from this regard is like interleukin-6. Yeah. Okay. So once again, we're not saying this is the devil. It's completely normal. Okay. So for instance, when you train, you raise interleukin-6. Yeah. Okay. So not all inflammation is bad, like far from it. The high majority of inflammation is good, okay? Because we're encouraging in this instance, like repair and growth and, re- and recovery. Mm. But if you look at it, you know, back certain types of bacterial issues and especially like negative gram bacteria. And what we're talking about here is LPS, lipopolysaccharides, like fatty acid molecules and long chain carbohydrate molecules. They do raise pro-inflammatory proteins, okay? So they raise TNF-alpha, interleukin-1 and the other one that they 
they raise up as interleukin-6. So you're going to get quite high amounts of the, of the interleukin-6. And with that, you're going to get the, the raise in the hepcidin. And then the raise in the hepcidin creates that, that, that knock-on effect yeah. where now you're, you're struggling to absorb the, the iron into the gastrointestinal tract. But the other scenario here is, is, you know, like I always say, one of the biggest problems facing the medical industry probably is things like antibiotic resistance. Mm. Um, and, you know, when it comes to antibiotic resistance, okay, we're talking about like excessive biofilm buildup. Mm. Um, and especially if you look at things like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, it tends to have very, very well established biofilm. And, you know, once upon a time when I was looking at a lot of bacteria, especially even things like candida and yeast, there was probably selective strains of candida and yeast that had biofilm. And now pretty much all these bacteria have biofilm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about this and, you know, excessive biofilm has been linked to serious health ailments, yeah. you know, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and, uh, lupus and Lyme disease and strep throat and rhinosinusitis and all these types of things. And biofilm is essentially made up of yes, proteins like GAL3, pro-inflammatory protein, proteins, ions, fluids. Okay. Um, but it's also made up of heavy metals. Okay. So mercury, lead, cadmium, and iron is a heavy metal. Okay. And so they have this affinity for iron, which obviously a lot of bacteria do. And that's what you've talked about. Okay. Mm. Well, they're using the iron to create this, you know, really robust barrier and this, this really robust protective membrane. And that's where a lot of issues can lie with iron. Okay. Because we're going through periods where, you know, the body is not going to just like sit there and do nothing. It's going to try and break down this biofilm. Okay. And when it, breaks down the biofilm, okay, a lot of these things like heavy metals and so forth go into the hepatic portal system. So they go into the bloodstream liver, okay? And you've also obviously got to have the capacity to deal with excess amounts of these uh, compounds as they get released into the, into the body and generally in high amounts, okay? And there's also the realms where they're also going to want to use these things as they're coming in to create a, a more established and a, a more you know, like a strong defense mechanism or yeah. strong mucilage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another reason why we're um, cautious of using iron supplementation. Because what you've just said there is if there is a dysbiotic state, if there is an overgrowth of negative gram bacterial parasites or these whatever organisms producing this biofilm, they can potentially utilize iron and other metals and reinforce this biofilm, reinforce this protective layer. So that's two pretty good examples there of why we shouldn't all just be scoffing down iron supplements and how it could actually be causing some issues. Right. Yeah. And there's um, also the, there's also the, sorry to interrupt mate, but there's also the thing on that where they say that a lot of time they, you know, whether it's like endotoxins and negative gram bacteria that a lot of the time they prefer like supplemental iron and iron infusions. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so the way it is, maybe for people if they're just going oh my god like i've had iron infusions and i've had iron supplements and well the way to understand if you just truly have like an iron deficiency yeah and you took something like that i mean ultimately you're going to feel better yeah okay now i'm not saying like long term it's going to fix the problem you know further down the track but ultimately you should feel better okay yeah. now if you take these things and then ultimately you get uh, a lot of like gut dysbiosis you get a lot more discomfort and also you just feel worse mm. Well, ask yourself, that potentially could be the problems that myself and Jake are talking about currently. Yeah, yeah. 
So, and I guess a follow-on from what you've just said there, which is important to note, is if you've been, because so often people have been doing this, they've been doing the infusions, they've been doing the supplementation, and they're like, my iron's still low. It's always low. I have to chronically supplement because I take all this high-dose supplement and I'm still low iron. That's a good indicator that, well, maybe that's not what the issue is. If you've been doing the heavy-dose supplementing and it's not fixing it, maybe (laughs) it's not an intake issue. Maybe there's exactly. something else going on, whether it's chronic inflammation, whether it's absorption, whether it's blood loss. I mean, that's one we've not mentioned, but whether maybe heavy periods, endometriosis or intestinal bleeding, that's pretty common with parasites as well sometimes. So it could yeah. be something else, couldn't it? 100%. And like, you know, one thing that we, that we also need to mention is that I think I mentioned at the start that sort of like iron and copper relationship. Yeah. Okay, because you could actually have like issues with iron because a copper deficiency. And remember I said like copper sort of sits in that same same realms where it's like life-giving, but then also it can be pretty problematic as well. Yeah. And so where the issues lie here with like a like a copper deficiency is that you have you have a protein compound that's called seroplasmin. It's pretty important to understand where your levels are, especially if you're going to go just start supplementing with something like Mm. iron. And you've got to ask yourself, has the practitioner or has the doctor actually checked your seroplasmin levels? I to never see that are? tested. I reckon I could count in two hands the amount of times I've seen that tested. Uh, and I'm the same. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. And I've, I've looked at a lot of blood and <laughs> I reckon I probably looked at it once. So you're probably one ahead of me. Yeah, okay. So, and the thing is like, so, pe- so for people who don't know why this is important. So seroplasmin is it's, it's basically a copper dependent protein. That's what it is. And so the role that it plays here, and when I was talking about the role of the epithelium to actually help with the conversion of ferric iron to ferrous iron. Now, just to make sure that we don't actually have too much ferrous iron floating around the bloodstream where it could potentially cause damage. So it could cause damage to the tissues and so forth. It needs to get converted back into ferric iron. Okay, then it binds to transferrin and now it can get shuttled into the to the bone marrow and this is where it can actually help with things like obviously hemoglobin now it's actually the seroplasmin that actually helps with this aspect of converting the ferrous iron into the ferric iron so we just don't have once again we don't have too much of this ferrous iron it's really really important and and the reason that you could be struggling when it comes to things like hemoglobin is because if it's not in the if it's not in its converted form then it's not going to get into the bone marrow and is that going to affect things like hemoglobin? Yes. Okay. And so actually a culprit behind that could be just a copper deficiency. Mm. Yeah. Now, is that something that you think for people in like Aussies who are listening to this, is that something we need to be concerned about? My understanding is there's a fair bit of copper in our pipes. And so copper deficiency is not, not that common. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, look, generally I don't, and once again, it's just it's just my opinion because I'm not saying that it's not a problem. I don't tend to think that copper especially like from, from what I see tends to be like a major mm. issue. And like, mm. you know, maybe you can get a little bit more accurate on that because you, you're not going to just look at something like serum copper and yeah. depict that where your copper levels are sitting just based on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not a, it's not a good, you know, a true depiction. And a lot of time you might even need to do like a hair and mineral analysis to really understand where your copper levels might a little bit more be accurately sitting. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So but, you know, um, copper does tend to be quite rich in the soils. I mean, I, I can only speak for what I know about in Australian soils. Yeah. yeah okay. Yes. And things like copper piping and, and, and a lot of, you know, uh, foods do even like certain carbohydrate sources and so forth do tend to be quite high in copper. 
And then also if you're eating, you know, certain animal proteins, especially things like offal and organ meat, I mean, yeah. something like liver is pretty high in copper as well. So, um, and I'm not saying that it, it, it can't be a problem because it could be a problem. Sure. And I think, yeah. I think, I think what we're just trying to point out here is like, it's just trying to get people away from this whole thing of like supplement with iron, yeah. supplement with iron, yeah. because what happens if you do have a, a copper deficiency? Yeah. And once again, you've, it's, it's, it's always the analogy if you've only got a hammer in your in your toolbox, yeah. okay, and someone, you know, someone poses a problem to you, well, ultimately you're only going to think that it's the hammer that solves all the issues. That makes yeah. sense, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's sort of you could apply that to using like iron supplementation and iron infusions. Yeah. So we should talk about what to do. Um, I, there's so much more we could say. Maybe we'll do a part two sometime because. I know we've just very briefly touched on blood markers I mean, and this. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, do you want to like, because obviously, you know, you know, I know that you can talk to clients a lot about like anemia and I think it's probably important for people to understand like when we are talking about anemia, that what could be some of the most fundamental reasons to why you've got that? Because ultimately, mm. you know, if you've got like things like, you know, bacterial issues and things that we're talking about, well, yeah. the only way you're going to ultimately fix the anemia is by fixing the bacterial issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, and other types of anemia. So if someone's got just insufficient like red blood cell production and that, what do they call that? I think it's like called a plastic anemia or something like that, but that can be caused by just chronic inflammation. Mm. Okay. That can be caused by nutrient deficiencies. Mm. So yes, iron, but also that list of 10 yeah. that I talked about previously. And also it could be insufficiency with, with erythropoietin or EPO, hmm. which means there could be some sort of compromisation of like function within the kidneys. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot there. That's what I'm saying. And then if you look at a, another one, there can be excessive breakdown of red blood cells. Yeah. Well, sickle cell anemia, but end of the day, it's pretty serious. And I think you'll know if you've got that sort of problem. Genetic mutations is a possibility. Now, once again, I'm not saying that's a high majority, but that's a that's a that's a, a potential problem there as well. And so this could be this could be another scenario. Okay. And then what you know, I think you already mentioned it. Well, it could be like blood loss. Mm. Okay. So is it uh, problems with your menstrual cycle? Is it, I think a good one potentially could be like IBD conditions. Yeah, okay? Like especially like ulcerative colitis and these yeah. types of things where you're getting a lot of blood loss. Okay? That would be the one I see most commonly that and, and heavy periods, endometriosis. Yeah. And trauma. Yeah, just mm. like, you know, like if, I mean, obviously I would not say that's happening all the time, yeah. but that could be a reason behind, you know, the blood loss as well. Mm. And then the last one, I think they call it like a excessive fluid overload. A lot of the time that comes about from excessive like sodium. I think they call it hypervolemia or something like that. And that I might see a lot in like pregnant women. Mm. Okay, it might be diagnosed as a, a form of anemia, but it's like it could just be the excessive sodium overload that's actually creating that problem. Mm. I guess the point that why I wanted to bring up those things is like it's more important to understand what's created that condition. Okay, and then ultimately- a little bit more into detail with that last one, pregnancy, because I I suspect a lot of people will be interested in that, and obviously that's a pretty um, you know it's a big factor for anemia. It's very common in pregnant women, so let's just go a little bit more in depth there. I mean, like, look, it, it obviously can be extremely common for pregnant women to have lower levels of things like hemoglobin, and mm. and, and and yes, you definitely can see the issues with things like serum iron and all these types of things, and and a lot of these things can be 
they're pretty normal to actually happen during pregnancy. But I guess why I was sort of like bringing up that that last point around the the hypovolemia is, is mm. because sometimes it could be the excessive like salt intake and so forth, whatever for whatever reason that's happening with the with the pregnant woman, and then we're just sort of treating it as a like saying it's anemia. Does that make sense? Okay. Sure. Where I guess where you've got to be really careful here is like a lot of time they might just use iron supplementation. Yeah. And they, once again, the, the, the same using the hammer again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what happens if they do have a lot of these other, cause I mean, do we think it's potentially could be common for like pregnant women to have a lot of the issues that we're talking about? Mm. Mm. And so then the issue there is that we use these things and fundamentally we could make a lot of those problems even worse, especially if it is, you know, uh, negative gram bacteria and LPS issues and so forth. And, and really how is the, the raise in, you know, the pro-inflammatory proteins and so forth that is going to come along with that. How is that going to go for even the development of the fetus? Mm. Does it make sense? So where there can be more safeguard approaches and more safeguard approaches might be getting it from a more natural source yeah. okay? where you're also able to, to tick a lot more boxes. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, that's probably where we want to finish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's because, yeah you know, I'm sure we would probably use the, the same solution here is using something like desiccated uh, beef liver, where obviously you're getting great iron concentration, but, you know, liver is very high in copper. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You have, you're, you're obviously getting a, a whole heap of other key nutrients from it as well. And also like, you know, interesting, you asking me about like pregnancy, because I have the tendency to use desiccated beef spleen in that instance, because and correct me if I'm wrong here, but per concentration, I think something like beef spleen is one of the highest sources of heme iron. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Um, and also spleen has huge benefits around like helping the immune system as well, because we mm. actually look at it within the spleen, you've got, we produce a lot of things like lymphocytes within the, the lymphoid tissue within the spleen. You know, I, I would say if I've got someone who's got a little bit more compromised immunity, immunosuppression or something like that something like a beef spleen is is really going to hit the mark on that yeah maybe if it's something that i want to use that's a little bit more broad spectrum and from the copper aspect and so forth yeah. you could go for something like a desiccated like beef liver yeah yeah no i'm exactly the same so my my first step is i want to use a liver um ideally i'll get them eating it but if they're not willing to eat then i'll use a, a desiccated liver and like you said a it's got it's got some iron in there so obviously we're, we're starting to hit that but we've also got the copper we've got vitamin a which we haven't really talked much about but that's going to enhance absorption and iron as well so it's kind of hitting a lot of those cofactors which could be needed and then if that's not doing the job then i think okay maybe it's not the cofactors we, we've covered those cofactors now that's not gotten us there maybe we should look at actually iron intake. And so that's where my second step would be like a spleen, um, like what you just said there as well. Um, other things, like, do you want to touch on on kefir? I know, I think you're the one who first told me about that, goat's kefir. Yeah, well, I mean, like, obviously I've spoken about goat's kefir and things like goat's yogurt. I mean, obviously really high in things like streptococcus thermophilus. And actually what they've shown through consumption of that, that that's actually helped increase things like hemoglobin concentrations. Yeah. Okay? They actually have found that. And one of, the, one of the reasons behind that can be the relationship with B9 or folate. Okay, so it actually can help with the synthesis of B9. So there's definitely some huge benefits there around like what I'm talking about, like the hemoglobin concentrations mm. that found that in research studies. So that can be a good addi addition for sure. And, you yeah. know, what I would say is that, you know, and, and once again, if you can pick it up within the blood markers, because obviously we use certain correlations yep. to pick up like things like LPS exposure and yep. negative gram bacteria, because 
you know, things like SIBO and negative gram bacteria. I mean, that can be a, a big contributor to creating massive complications with iron. Okay. And also any type of damage with the gut lining, any type of damage to the brush borders and the epithelium, intestinal yeah. permeability, these types of things, it's definitely going to affect your ability to uptake something like iron efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously we need to look at what else is going on. If there's absorption issues and you need to address that. Um, but for me, I guess my safeguard perspective and my generalized perspective, the liver, spleen, I like cod liver oil. I, I normally chuck that in there as well. It's going to have some anti-inflammatory benefits. It's got the vitamin A. It can help, help with the gut lining as well. So that's sort of a part of the combo I normally use. Um, and then for someone who's more plant-based, I think we mentioned it at some point. So vitamin C can, can help, can enhance the absorption of non-heme iron. So I'd normally add that into the mix as well. It doesn't need to be much, you know, just a very small amount with each meal or each meal containing iron and understand that there's going to be the issue with a plant-based diet as well is that a lot of the foods that it's heavy in are foods that will inhibit the absorption of iron as well because we've got anti-nutrients and we've not talked about that but there's anti-nutrients which are going to impact absorption as well but that's probably a combo for another time is there anything else we need to mention about you talk about lps and, and and SIBO and so getting to the bottom of that's going to be pretty important that's probably about it anything else you want to mention as far as enhancing absorption i think like but once again, Liz, I think we've covered the the major sort of like you know bang for your buck, yeah, things to put in place because we're like like we always want to go for things that are a lot more safeguard because I guess what we wanted to highlight is that there's all these different scenarios and if you don't really fully know what's going on, yeah, I mean, why would you go down the path of utilizing something that could potentially make those scenarios worse? It's 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 a bigger possibility than you think. That's the thing. Yeah. Um. And 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 using some things that are a lot more safeguard, where you're covering a lot of bases. You know, the desiccated beef liver because of the the iron and the copper sort of you know scenario that we've spoken about. Yeah. Okay. Things like beef spleen. Okay. You know, cod liver oil. All these things that we that, that we've spoken glycine, about. Glycine. That's the one I was I was thinking of. Glycine. Yes. That's it. Yep. Yep. So you know, um, looking at these and 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 if it is that you've got like a hemoglobin issue well bear in mind that there's 10 things that essentially yeah. make that up okay so there's a there's a big soup that you've got to look at yeah um i've got another curveball question for you dave i don't know how you feel about this lactoferrin is that something you would ever play with in this situation look i've, I've never played around with it in regards to, to to iron i mean obviously i'm a big fan of lactoferrin and mm. you know lactoferrin is a globular glycoprotein and where, where I really love lactoferrin is it's pretty amazing for balancing out like your, your beneficial flora mm. uh, to the, uh, the opportunistic bacteria ratio. So it's really good to actually help to restore that balance and then sort of got like, you know, toxic effects to, you know, pathogens and microorganisms mm. that, that might cause some complications. So look, I'm a big fan of it, but I've never really played around with it in terms of sure. uh, in regards to iron. Sure. Well, there's a lot there. Hopefully that's demystified the conversation a little bit. I think at some point we should do a, a part two where maybe we focus more on, on different types of anemias or different blood patterns because there's so much for us to say then. <laughs> I was, uh, like we had to hold ourselves back not to jump into blood markers because there's so much info you can glean from blood markers when it comes to iron and anemias. Um, but hopefully that's helped start the conversation and, and got people thinking about whether they should or maybe shouldn't or consider maybe other options instead of just supplementing with iron but yeah that's helpful thank you for the convo dave anything you want to finish on before we wrap up or before we jump off no look i you know i think we just try to summarize it as as well as we can you know and even like we did try try to probably restrain ourselves from going down the realms <laughs> of like all the different 
possibilities within the bond market because that can be a bit of a black hole. I think okay. we've shown uh, discipline tonight. I think we've yeah, done well. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a lot of complexity with that. And, and mm. you know, iron can be pretty complex, okay, like to, mm. to fully understand. But I guess what, you know, the major point that we wanted to get across is, you know, don't just, don't just be like that, you know, that toddler with a box of matches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, don't a lot, be don't a... be the toddler with the matches, and don't be the guy just with a hammer where everything's a nail. They're the they're the two <laughs> people not to be in the iron scenario. Exactly, and there's just a lot more safeguard things you can put in place first. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in the gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.